today, I will sing Adele. Okay. <laughs> What's a good parody? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, ready? Three. <laughs> I love how that took you all of one and a half seconds. You didn't even finish the sentence. You're like, what's a good pair? Oh, yeah. Hello, Jamie. I was wondering if after one more week, you'd like to meet to go over a movie. I don't, I couldn't hear the melody. Welcome to another show. Oh. Where Tony sings like a drowning toad. <laughs> to get in the zone for another episode. That's all I got. I didn't prepare. Who prepares? Preparing's overrated. What's up? How's it going? It's going okay. I'm a little tired today. Wake up. Yep. Why are you tired? We're just like long day. Anything exciting? I've been trying to bike more, but it's resulted in a lot of soreness and mm. just like like shifts in energy level, especially the next day during recovery. Yeah. And there's just like my grandma's centennial is this week and there's a lot of stress around my house and with my relatives and stuff. Why is there stress? Isn't that a celebration? I guess, I guess like uh, widespread familial social gatherings always like dredge up historical family drama intentions like a hundred years worth of drama <laughs> yeah literally um w- like where like siblings have to cooperate and work together and they don't normally do that on a frequent basis so it's more just like having to tolerate each other toward a singular purpose uh i don't know i don't think any of my family listens to this podcast so it's not like it'll ever get back to them but it can be quite interesting I mean, every family's dynamic is interesting. I don't think my family listens to this either, but I don't, I honestly, I'm not sure if my mom really knows what a podcast is. Like, I've told her I do one. I basically told my dad that it was radio. And yeah. he's like, oh, like Mr. Gian Gomeshi. And I'm like, no, nothing <laughs> like him. I mean, we've yet to be canceled, but who knows? <laughs> I forget who's been canceled sometimes. Like I, I forgot Ellen was canceled. Yeah, I. That's sort of dubious that she is right because she still has another season of her show to do. She does, right? Yeah, but I don't know how exactly she'll now like come on stage dancing and acting all like she's not a cruel person. <laughs> because it would seem like a kind of like collective performative uh, gaslighting. It would be funny if she just like fully embraced it and like everyone is on strings and like like, she's just there. She comes out dancing and like that guy, what's his name? Twitch who sits behind the DJ booth or whatever. He's like on strings and she's like pulling the strings. So he's dancing too. Do you think Pinocchio is a wheelie movie? Can we cover Pinocchio? We totally can cover Pinocchio. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long, but uh, I'm gonna start needing strings to hold me up soon. Okay. So, so, so should we contact Geppetto? You know what? I honestly, I don't really. Re- I remember watching <laughs> Pinocchio, and I remember kind of being scared by it. Has there been a, a recent development where you've so uh, uh, darkly compared yourself to Pinocchio? Because I was trying to make a joke, and I feel like it it didn't land, and now I feel because I don't really know who Geppetto is. Geppetto's like Uncle Ben. He's Pinocchio's Uncle Ben. He's a string guy? Yeah. 
He's the puppeteer. Yeah, he's Pinocchio's father. I, I just remember the puppet. I don't remember the puppeteer. Do you remember that his nose grows when he lies? I do remember that. Does your nose grow when you lie? Lie to me. I'm so smart. <laughs> False. That's the truth. Lie to me. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> True. That's the truth, too. See, either way. Yep, you're full of contradictions. I, uh, so why are you calling yourself Pinocchio? Were there any recent developments? No, just that, like, sometimes, like, when I'm in a van traveling, I feel like I need a string to hold my head in place. A lot of people feel like they don't have everything in place when they're flopping around in, ba- in vans, especially yeah. when certain friends of ours are driving. <laughs> but I have, like, <laughs> I have a, I have the muscle tone of a scarecrow. Okay. So some scarecrows are pretty resilient. Have you seen the Wizard of Oz? Yeah. What was his deal? He didn't have a brain. <laughs> I think that's the Tin Man that didn't have a brain. No, he the, didn't have a heart. I think the scarecrow didn't have a heart. No, the lion didn't have courage. The scarecrow oh. didn't have a brain. And the Tin Man didn't have a heart. Why do you remember Alice in Wonderland, but not uh, Pinocchio? That's Wizard of Oz, first of all. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I've seen The Wizard of Oz more recently than I've seen Pinocchio. Okay, yeah. We should write an adaptation of Pinocchio called Tonikio. Okay. <laughs> you hate me. And oh. what would be this movie? Um, like, you are born and you know you're a real boy and everyone else treats you like a puppet. <laughs> I don't have any strings, can't you see? Yeah. Yeah. So you went on a trip in a vehicle this weekend? Yeah, I mean, just not not like not a trip, just uh, but I don't know. Like sometimes I fantasize about being Spider Man, and I could just like use my own webbing to pull my arms around. <laughs> like I could just shoot some webbing at the wall to pull my arm to the left. That would be an interesting concept. Like Spider Man has a kind of paralysis where he can't tell his brain to move his arms, but he can shoot his webs at things still. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Or like if I could like use a pulley system. Have you, the, you can cut this if you think I'm boring or whatever, but have you ever heard of a video game called Octodad? No. No, please feign excitement. I'm talking about video games. I love them. No, tell me. Is it about a dad with eight sides? Yes, it is. He has eight limbs. And his body is like total ragdoll physics, you know, like really floppy. Why is it that Octo Mom is a mom with eight kids and Octo Dad is a dad with eight limbs? I suppose because men define themselves based on the number of extraneous phalluses. Oh, so like I'm a penta, penta man? Yeah, Octo Dad. Okay, can I explain the premise of Octo Dad before you fall asleep? If you must. Okay, because it's actually maybe a game we could review for the podcast. Okay. To the chagrin of any listeners over the age of 40. We should branch out into other media for sure. Yeah, there are a couple of video games that do actually capture a disabled experience. Okay, so Octomom. No, Octodad. Yeah. Tony, come on, please. Okay, I'm fine. Okay, so the, the, okay, so the game is physics-based. Right. <laughs> so it, it uses the Havoc physics engine, which has been in place in video games since 2006. All right. Uh-huh. 
anyway, so as Octodad, you basically have to complete a variety of domestic chores. I just hope you realize how ridiculous you sound right now. I don't care. I Okay, that's good. You shouldn't care, but I should also tell you. <laughs> I know there's some people out there who like respect other mediums as much as they do film or television. It's not that. It's just. Yeah. Video games are for dorks and cripples. I get it. It's not that. I like video games. But like when you start telling me the Havoc engine, I'm just like, okay. (laughs) You're, You're fucking in software. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like when I'm watching a movie, I'm not like what brand of camera was used. (laughs) well i don't understand that because you're actually very good at your job which would mean to some extent that you do care about those minute details in a professional capacity it's uh, yeah i mean i get that you're interested in it and um, (laughs) you're not selling me on it mate (laughs) all right i feel like if if i was like trying to sell you on a new car i wouldn't be like okay so first of all this is the kind of tires it uses, okay? <laughs> Some people care about, like, leather interior. And yeah, I think it's just the order. Like, sell order. me on the premise first, and then we can talk about what kind of engine it, it uses. All right, so you, you're a father with eight floppy limbs. Got it. And the idea is that you are posing as a human being. <clears throat> so your wife and your children don't know that you're an octopus. And you have to try to complete daily chores in front of in front of them with eight floppy limbs. And the challenge of the video game is merely in taking objects and putting them in locations in a timely fashion. And sometimes you have to cook. Sometimes you have to clean. But basically, you just have to be a person. So I think it's actually the perfect wheelie video game because it illustrates the fucking daily hurdles of just trying to carry through with like mundane tasks. Like it's way harder for me to to sweep the floor than it is for me to write two thousand lines of working code. So I I think it's I think it's a perfect allegory for disability, and it's also very fun because as you know, um, physics video games have an element of emergent gameplay, which is gameplay outside of the realm that the original levels level designers intended by virtue of all the objects in the game and how they organically interact with each other so there's like infinite permutations this is a run on sentence but if you had led with that premise i would have Uh been way more engaged from the beginning (laughs) but you started leading with like and it's written in c code okay but i tried to i tried to open with penis jokes i thought that would do it like i thought i just no sorry anyway we should definitely play it for the podcast and we, we should stream it on Twitch. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe we could stream ourselves playing it. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about flopping around in, in our friend's uh, backseat of her van. Nothing disability-related happened, except I did choke about? on an oyster. You cho- well, Okay. You that choked on an oyster? Where yeah, the fuck like did you eat? Oysters. Where did you eat? Oh, I went to an oyster place. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like maybe you're not in the mood for a conversation today, Tony. No, there are details in the story that probably aren't that interesting to the story. Here's what happened. So we went to a a patio beforehand. That was pretty cool, accessible, had a couple drinks. And then we went to another, like a restaurant that that sells oysters. Who were you with? Was it you, one other wheelie, and two women? Yeah. And so... 
She was just so focused. What were you wearing? Was it a yellow shirt or was it a blue shirt? Actually, I saw a picture of you from this weekend. You were on a you were on a boat, I think, uh, and you were you you were wearing an an autumnal sweater, and I thought you looked quite pristine. Thank you. I uh... yeah, you look like a J Crew ad or something. I thought that's definitely <laughs> something you should put on your fucking uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever the fuck. I actually didn't. That was like my Sunday clothes because I wasn't expecting to go out that day. And then that was your church wear. Out. Yeah, that was just like my stay at home and do laundry clothes. Oh well, you looked fantastic. Well, thanks. Um, we went to this. Yeah, we went to a nice place. It's like overlooking some waterfalls and like a river. It was really nice. And then we went to another spot for dinner. We booked a reservation and they were super dismissive of the fact that we needed an accessible spot because the way this restaurant works is they have part of the restaurant is accessible and part of it isn't. It's up a couple stairs. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a number of tables in the accessible part, but then also a significant number in the inaccessible part. So we called ahead for a reservation. They gave us a time, and then we said, just so you know, we have two wheelchairs with us. So, you know, we're going to need to make sure it's an accessible table. And they're like, oh, well, that that time slot isn't an accessible table. You're going to have to wait another, like, hour and a half or something. And eventually with some convincing they were convinced to instead just kindly ask whoever had the accessible table if they needed to be there or if they could take two steps to the inaccessible tables which sounds very reasonable to me also by the way who did the persuading was it you or the person you were with it wasn't me so then we ended up Getting that whole situation sorted. Uh, it feels like you're omitting details. So I was wearing my black Converse shoes <laughs> and I had them tied where the left lace was over top of the right lace. Did you trim your nose, ha- nose hairs beforehand? I made sure my nose hairs were trimmed. My ears <laughs> probably could have been using a bit of a cleaning, but that's okay because I had an earpiece in. So you, you wouldn't have been able to notice anything. I'm not able to floss, so I didn't floss. But that's okay because my jaw chewing power is such that I don't think that I often get stuff stuck in my teeth because I don't Uh even think there's enough force to shove something in between my teeth. But I do brush my teeth twice a day, and I use mouthwash twice a day. So I'm hoping that that is enough. I go to the dentist more than twice a year, which also helps. (laughs) Okay, yeah, all right, that's enough detail for me now. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, there's not much to the story except that... Except that you almost choked and died in a place yeah. where they didn't want to fucking invite you into the restaurant in, in a timely and respectable fashion. The wheelchair-accessible bathroom there was actually so good that it was... Like, I've now taken a mental note of it because if I'm ever in that area of the city and I need mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom... I would yep. go to this restaurant just to use the bathroom. I keep saying this, but I still want to make that app that lets people find accessible bathrooms uh, in the nearest like 10 mile radius. That app does exist. What's it called? Um, I wish I could remember so I could give them the shout out they deserve. I think it's called like 
Access Now or something? <laughs> it's called like Google Craps. <laughs> Instead of Google Maps, get it? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it, it is called Google Craps, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Sweet. <clears throat> what? Okay, so you choked? Yeah. And you, but, and you lived? You didn't die? No, I died. Oh, shit. Yeah. That, that's why it's been so hard to get, get you to talk today? No, I don't know. I'm just tired. Uh, it was a long weekend of going out and doing stuff, which is obviously fun, but... It's that time of year where I keep trying to pack stuff in um, because sure. A, I haven't done stuff in so long because of COVID. And then yeah. B, I feel winter coming. So I'm just oh, yeah. sort of compressing everything into every two-day weekend that I have. It's funny how it beckons, right? Like you feel like the the frost in the air and you're like, oh shit, I'm going to have to hunker down again. Yeah. The thing is for me, like once it gets to... 20 degrees i start to feel cold like when yeah. the lows are in the teens i'm already like bundling up yeah i i put on a sweater the other night my parents like always have the windows open my dad refuses to acknowledge when it starts to get colder so we have to freeze especially this time of year what did you do this weekend uh dick all i played doom eternal would you like to hear about how doom eternal is a disabled game no but do you have that an article ready? No, I don't actually. I I was asking, knowing you would say no. Do you want to talk about how, what you're doing for the centennial to prepare? There's just a speech that I have to say on behalf of my mom and her brothers and sisters. Yeah, so it's kind of funny though because you've sort of been thrust into it, right? Yeah, I usually get entrusted with like public speaking roles. I prefer them to be things that I've actually written. So that if I go off script, I can speak with confidence. But in this case, I only know about 30 years of my grandma's life. And I, like we are close, but not really that close. So if I lose my way in this speech or I don't sound comfortable or natural or organic, I'm going to start to get nervous. And then my voice is going to do that CP thing where it starts to feel like I'm whispering, even though I'm trying to project my voice. And it just gets tighter and tighter until I'm incoherent. Do you think this podcast or the fact that you're on the news has made your family expect more of you in that role? My uncle even cracked a joke. He's like, you're the only one in the family that's been on the news. So I figure uh, you should be the one to take on speech duty. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess. I don't know. My confidence is not high. But you like writing. I do. That's true. So you're just dreading the performance part? I just don't want to dis disappoint my grandma. Yeah. Who knows, right? Like, you could give the speech of your life, and she might still be like, wow, that was awful. Or you could just give, like, a terrible speech, and she'd be like, Jamie, that was amazing. Oh, my grandma um, is kind of like the core of my mom's side of the family. Like, um, she has a very charismatic and gregarious personality like the harrow laugh it, it comes from her like she sort of embodies it and you meet her within the first two minutes and you sort of like understand her vibe and how sharp and sweet and like witty she is and um i've never really been that close to her but she was like around a lot when i was in high school and like recovering from surgery and my parents weren't really around as much because they both had to work and so she babysat me a lot. And so I was like kind of like exposed to her, but again, never really close because 
yeah, she had a lot of kids and then a lot of grandkids. So you can't really get close to any one family member. I just like, I have this idea of her personality and her like aura and whatever, but no real anecdotes or, or like substantial stories to draw on. So again, I feel like the person giving the speech should not be the youngest person in the family before 2012. Are you writing a speech in a way where like you're sort of speaking? I'm not writing the speech. My mom provided me with like a bit of a, of a bit of a synopsis, but for me, it kind of reads like a fucking, (laughs) it kind of reads like an obituary to be honest. So I'm kind of dreading having to like relay it or (laughs) try to like imbue it with the personality or warmth or something. You know what I mean? You're celebrating the death of her 99 years on earth. Yeah, like uh, there's a lot of usage of of the past tense and stuff. And like, it just sort of makes me nervous. I tried asking my mom, like, like when you think of your mother, what do you feel? Like, what are what are some little stories you remember that described her? Like, try to write that stuff down. And she's like, oh, no, no, we don't need to get into that. We can just one or two sentences. (laughs) There you go. And like this speech is going to be, I remember when grandma was not 100 and now (laughs) she is. (laughs) you're here (laughs) so let's raise a glass and move on well that's exciting for you I don't think I've ever had to give a speech at a family event that's the other thing yeah I've never I mean the only time I've done public speaking is like high school when I did it for class didn't you have to do any kind of seminars in university Oh, yeah, that's true. I never really counted that because it doesn't feel public. It's just like your classmates. Public speaking usually only feels daunting for me if it's deeply personal. Like if I'm just up there trying to relay some chapter of a textbook or something, I can switch to autopilot and not really feel any sort of um, stress. I'm the opposite. For me, if it's like if I have to be an expert in some subject matter, mm-hmm. it, it gives me a lot of anxiety because I'm like, well, I have to understand every part of everything. But if it's about me, I already know because I am me. That's true. You are you. Like if someone asks a question, I'm sure I'll have the answer. Imagine doubting that you're the highest authority on yourself. <laughs> like imposter syndrome and stuff. I guess that's a little different. Or if you're in a relationship where you constantly defer to your partner. Yeah. When someone says they don't know what they want, it's it's always intriguing to me because like, is what you want just to please another person? Or do you actually not know like what would make you happy in a moment? Like for I kind of get it because a lot of times when someone's like, do you want this or this? I'm so aggressively indifferent. Like, I really don't think one of them will be a better option. I feel like I'll be equally happy with either. Like, like indifference produces perfect substitutes of everything? Yeah. I feel like we've talked for 30 minutes and said nothing. I mean, that's beautiful. Are we supposed to fucking say something? Sometimes I resent that we're supposed to say something. It feels like all the media and stories about us have to say something significant and with poise and dignity and all that shit. I was thinking about this actually when we were making our Instagram clips for the latest episodes of uh, Special. Wait, we can't say we. We didn't do anything. Our producer, Michael. Okay, well, when Michael produced our latest Instagram clip of of Special Season 2, 
he took my reaction about Ryan writing a list of the top 10 things of the top 10 times he fell down. Yeah. And I, on reflecting on that, I felt like my reaction might've been pretty insensitive and that I do very much want to read that listicle. But at the same time, it would be so refreshing to see a disabled person partake in slapstick. That's what I was trying to say when we were doing that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to rehash that, but definitely, I do. I do a lot of tongue in cheek, like sort of eye roll humor when I first meet someone about my disability, because mm-hmm. although it's like groan worthy, often it's enough where it's just like if I can be this dumb about my disability and like the the bar for my own jokes is this low, then feel free to make a better joke. Um, Because if I if I come in with like a super heady, thought out, insightful joke about my disability, then it it feels more inaccessible to a newcomer for them to hear that and then go, oh, I have a lot to learn before I can make a joke. Yeah, and then they the then you actually don't break the ice; you make the ice thicker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I can't skate. (laughs) Neither can I. Do you want to just have a moment of silence? We could, like Craig Ferguson style? Yeah. Okay. Maybe catch up on sleep while we're silencing? I'm really afraid that if I stay silent for too long, I'll fall asleep. Okay, do you want to talk about the Peanut Butter Falcon uh, movie? Peanut Butter Falcon! (laughs) Yep, that one. That's the movie. Maybe that's why I was so just like glossing over everything until this point, because... This was one of my favorite movies we've watched to date. Really? Like the first time you watched it, you were overjoyed? I love this movie. I've watched it now three times. Three times? Yeah. What, did you watch it all with other people? Uh, well, I watched it twice with other people and then once with you for this. I'm not other people? No, because I'm talking to you. Oh, okay. Um, so did they like it? Who you watched it with? Yeah, I think everyone I've watched it with really liked it. Also, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I have. But I had a sister growing up. I, I used the past tense because she passed away, but she had Down syndrome. And I've missed her over the years. It's been a number of years since she passed. And this was like a fun way to think about her, but also... Because of everything I knew, know about her growing up, it felt really authentic, this movie. Mm, and okay. I think part of, part, that's part of why I liked it so much. Not only like, is the movie, in my opinion, beautifully shot, um, just like beautiful direction, and the acting is incredible. Like It's a super tight cast, but you can tell that they bonded before the start of this movie. And they have real chemistry. Um, And all of that really shines an incredible spotlight on the main character, Zach, who is the guy who has Down syndrome. I don't know. It was fun to think about like Gigi and see the parallels to my sister. Mm -hmm. But it was also just in its own right, a really good. And you know, I'm a sucker for these like heartwarming movies where like, Everyone lives happily ever after. It feels good, but there's some turmoil throughout the way and they get through it together. I love those movies. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, less plot-driven and more character-driven, and I love that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And um, you're right. There is a lot of uh, very organic chemistry between Shia LaBeouf and uh, the lead actor's name. I can't remember. Do you remember? Zach Gotten something. Gotten, but I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's got a lot of syllables, eh? Gotten. Gotten. Yeah. So Shia and, and Zach. Zach, for sure. They have a wonderful kind of brotherhood between them. It seems like they've spent quite a bit of time with each other off camera. Like it, it, it does everything to elevate the film. Yeah, because without that chemistry, it's kind of like a, like a kind of a, quite a, a run of the mill road trip film. Yeah, it's like Huckleberry Finn comes to life in a movie. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of walking in yeah. the grassy fields and uh on bodies of water so what are some details about zach's character that reminded you of your sibling so after this movie i started doing a bit of research into down syndrome because i had only my anecdotal experience mm-hmm. and what was surprising to me was like the same thing that happened to me with sma where you start to read through the wikipedia article and you realize so many characteristics of the disability are not unique to the person, but they're part of the disability. Mm. Like bizarre, not only like physical traits and stuff, but well, I guess for Down syndrome, like mostly physical traits. I'm not an expert. As I said, I did grow up with someone who has had Down syndrome, but like one data point. Just little things. Like when she started meet you, she was she you would never try to decide what a person was or like break them down and try to like figure out what motivates them or whatever and judge people. They're just naive, I guess, but just uh, out of pure like love and lack of learned judgmentalism. So you're saying that she was indiscriminate in like evaluating people's character? I don't even think she evaluated people's character. That's the thing. Like, maybe if you hurt her, then she would not like you. But she always went into a new person. You know, like, I do this thing at least when I meet a new person because, like, trust issues and all sorts of cynicism that I have baked into me, I'm trying to, like, dismantle a person right away. Like, what motivates them? Why are they wearing what they're wearing? Why are they talking the way they're talking? Just trying to like figure them out as quickly as possible so that I can figure out how I'm going to have to navigate around. That's just not something she would ever do. And so it was sort of refreshing. It's like sort of childlike wonderment that comes out of it, which is just really refreshing. How long did you share a living space with her? Like the whole time I was in foster care, she would stay in our place for weekends or extended time. So she didn't live there, but she would stay there at least monthly. Okay, so like every weekend for 18 years? Mm, Maybe not every weekend, but like once a month at the very least. Okay. And she was very, like, she considered you a a close uh, friend? Or did she consider you her brother? I don't know. She, her developmental age was probably, I'm going to guess like five to eight so we weren't able to ever have a conversation where 
she would be able to tell me if she thought of me as a brother or something. I could assume so. But I definitely wasn't in her life as long as my foster parents' biological siblings. Um, So I think she was probably, in her mind, closer to them. And, like, Mm -hmm. actually closer to them because of just longer time spent together. Um, So I was probably... I was definitely familiar to her, but that might have been the extent of it. I don't know. Did you like the movie? I did. I liked parts of it. I thought it did several things that were kind of unique, um, but the kind of framing of the movie was a little frustrating, and there were B B plots that didn't really resolve the way I kind of hoped, and I felt like the movie needed maybe another 15 or 20 minutes to really sell some of the like last act kind of revelations or whatever. <clears throat> and to you like take full advantage of some of the cast. So basically the premise is um, Shia LaBeouf is on the run uh, because he's a, a kind of a, a nomad. His brother died uh, accidentally in a car accident uh, where Shia was kind of at the wheel and he was drunk. So he feels deeply guilty about that. And he's been kind of in an alcoholic stupor uh, rummaging around, like doing odd jobs ever since. <clears throat> he works at a local fishery and he's like doing some sort of side, some sort of illegal trade nonsense. Crab fishing. Yeah, he he pisses off the wrong guy, played by John Hawks, who was an alumni wheelie of the movie um, The Sessions. And so basically, yeah, he, Shia goes on the run after he sabotages his employer. He um, sort of crosses paths with Zach, who himself is escaping from a previous life. Uh, he has made multiple multiple attempts, Zach has, to leave a nursing home that he currently resides at at the beginning of the film. I am young and I am not old. Carl is old and we are different. And I don't know why I am here. I wish I had a better option for you, Zach, but I don't. You don't have a family that can provide adequate supervision for you. I know, so the state has to put you somewhere and this just happens to be that place. You've been here two years? Two and a half years. We gotta fix that. Just try to be good, okay? That's like a super real problem, right? People who are sort of between options and get forced into some unsuitable living environment. Mm-hmm. I know people firsthand who were my age or younger and ended up in a nursing home because of lack of options. You know, I was one bad foster family away from that. Mm-hmm. I got lucky that the foster family I ended up with, like the my foster parents are amazing and kept me under their wing. And even after the lifetime of my quote unquote contract with the government for them, they continued to act as my parents. That's a super rare thing in foster care. And also an unfortunately common occurrence for people with different disabilities to just end up in an unsuitable space because of lack of options. And it was a believable, but 
But the very beginning of the movie started like slapstick, right? Where they he devises this plan. You don't really know it's what's happening clearly, but one of his roommates or whatever at this place uh, helps him stage a distraction so he can run away. It's basically a prison break. Right, exactly. Everyone there yep. seems to know that he doesn't belong there mm-hmm. because he's the kind of guy who just has a super wide-open warm heart they want to help him yeah all all the older residents sort of contribute in some way to his um attempted escape yeah yeah which kind of goes a long way to establishing his character at the outset yeah and uh his roommate is played by bruce dern who's like kind of like an an, a notorious like elderly actor um so yeah bruce dern helps him literally like uh separate the bars of his bedroom so that Zach can slip through and run away. And uh, it's a very, like, kind of Shawshanky sort of staged. Right, and they put those bars up because of his first failed attempt. Right, exactly, yeah. So they're, they're knowingly keeping him in against his will, and he has a social worker who cares about him very much, played by Dakota Johnson of Fifty Shades of Grey fame. So, yeah, so the movie's quite efficient at getting going, at getting Zach out of his institution, and Shia on the road himself. And pretty soon the two of them uh, sort of collide serendipitously. Uh, Zach stows away in a boat that Shia then uses to evade John Hawks. And then Shia realizes that he has uh, Zach in tow. And then the two of them basically decide to go on a pilgrimage together to a wrestling school that Zach is determined to um, attend because he wants to become a great wrestler called Peanut Butter Falcon. Well, yeah. So all of that happens a lot more organically than that, though. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a wrestling name picked out when he's leaving. The mm-hmm. The only real thing motivating him is that Zach has seen various wrestling movies by this guy who goes by the name of Saltwater Redneck. And, like ends up going, he's like, I'm going to go to this place in, I don't know, like North or South Carolina or something and learn how to become a wrestler. And that's his only goal. So he just eventually escapes and just kind of runs away from this place. The movie just happens really organically. There's like a couple coincidental plot points to converge characters or whatever, but It's not very plot-heavy, it's super character-driven, and it has so much heart for a wheelie movie, like, it it doesn't feel... They literally didn't pull back any punches. Um, I mean, Shy is amazing. It's one of those movies where it's just, like, the whole time you just want to be there, watch them on their journey. What makes Shia amazing? He got really vulnerable for this role. You can see that. Um... He's also just, like, a really good actor in terms of, like, his dialogue with other characters. You can tell it feels really raw. And I think that's kind of, I'm guessing that, you know, Zach has, like, a general script to follow. But it's probably hard to stay on script 100% and just go line by line. And so all the actors around around him have to have 
chemistry with them so that they can... Versatility. Yeah, because they're basically improving. It does feel like several scenes um, are being ad-libbed to some degree. Yeah. Dakota Johnson is supposed to be a kind of like gentle authoritarian. She's like enforcing the rule of the nursing home, but she knows that it's not in Zach's best interest. So there's a conflict there, but it's kind of lighthearted. She's not really held accountable for her uh, lack of awareness or potential apathy in the in the situation that she's in. Um, there is a kind of warden that has one scene in the film to establish that the higher ups where Zach lives uh, don't really give a fuck about him. But we don't ever really get a confrontation with that warden. You know, I was kind of hoping for like a Silence of the Lambs type thing where uh, there's a real comeuppance. But it doesn't happen. But I think it's. I like that it didn't happen because it was more just like that. He they left that whole part of his life behind. Yeah, it's over with once he once he meets Shia, basically. And because of the fact that they don't care about him, it was just like, all right, he's gone now. Whatever. Yeah, there's a there's a funny uh, sort of repeating line where, whenever Zach encounters somebody that treats him adversely or calls him. Uh, like shitty names he says that you're not coming to my birthday party yeah which again kind of reminded me of Gigi because Gigi would always do this thing where she'd like um she had a bunch of hilarious little phrases she would say but when she was mad at you she'd be like or call the police on you like you're just uh-huh. uh just like ridiculous like if she was like really fresh you'd be like I'm going to Alberta <laughs> just <laughs> Just random stuff. And you can tell, I guess, from the movie that Zach's birthday is coming up. And so when he likes someone, he's like, I want to invite you to my birthday party. And Uh when he doesn't like you, he's like, you're not invited to my birthday party. Which, that line has so much soul to me. Because it's just like, yeah, you want your birthday party to be people that you like. Even, no matter how old you are, Staging an occasion around your birthday is kind of like a thing if you actually choose to have a party. So if you explicitly decide not to like somebody, they are definitively shitty. Do you want to play a clip? The bedtime clip? Sure. Bedtime, retard. That's the wholesome of it. That's the only interaction that Zach has with a care worker at his home. What What I liked about that is... You know, a movie like this, you're like, are they going to throw this word around? And I think it would have been inauthentic to not use the word in a movie because that's obviously a word that people hear in those situations and they use it in that exact way where it's just like a throwaway word um, and they know how much it hurts, but they just don't care. And I liked that they throw it in there in that way where you literally just don't have a second to realize. When we were watching this movie, you were still trying to make jokes about Shia LaBeouf's name, and you didn't even hear that that was said. I had to rewind it three times before being like, listen to this. It does hit you between the eyes. Yeah. It's like pretty shocking. Yeah, which I think is important for a movie like this, where they just... right. Um, there's another actual clip where that word and the use of it is um, addressed directly. You better stop calling him a retard. 
I have never called anyone a that word. Okay, hold on. Listen, when people are saying he's a retard, really what they're saying is he can't do some shit they can do. So you might not be saying the word retard, all right, I'll give you that, but you damn sure is making him feel retarded. That ain't gonna help his life. That to me is really interesting because there's been a number of times in my life, like uh, moving to Ottawa and our new social scene of the combined circles of like the, the Carlton disabled community and the Carlton engineering class of 07, 08 or whatever it was. There were some people from Thunder Bay that came over to Ottawa at the same time that I did or a year prior. And so my home circles and my school circles inevitably collided. And at the time, of course, at Carlton, I was very homesick. So I was very deliberately leeching onto that Thunder Bay side of things. I was like actively nervous about even leaving campus or being by myself without my closest friend from high school, which sounds deeply immature, but it's like I had never left my house in Thunder Bay without either being with a friend or a student support person or a straight up social worker. And so being in a scooter by myself, going everywhere and doing everything by myself was incredibly daunting. One thing that really struck me about the new world of school and of this bigger city, Ottawa, where there was a higher percentage of disabled people is that they would see how my Thunder Bay circle would treat me and they would call it out like to me in private later. It'd be like, you, why, why do your friends talk to you like that? Really? You know, why is this occurring? And how come you never say anything about it? Why is that not a problem for you? Were you just numb to it? At the time, like I fought, I fought it. Like you fought your friends or you fought the people telling you that they were doing that? I fought the people that are trying to wake me up to the, um, the disparity in treatment that they were witnessing because it was, it was a hard thing for me to kind of accept. Yeah, for sure. To this day, even thinking on it, I remember my frame of mind and I remember the defensiveness. And it's hard to disassociate from that feeling. But I do wish that I was more open-minded at the time. It's sort of like when when a partner is abusive and you're like, well, it's just because I'm not telling you the good stuff or like you don't know them the way I do or like I you don't have the full context. Yeah, I mean... Like life is a constant process of knowing, of realizing that certain things you've taken for granted can be different yeah, and that you can evolve and you can grow slowly, incrementally over time. But you need to, you need to have a malleability of mind. Yes. And quite often you can think that you're open-minded without actually being so because you're protect, because in a way your prejudices and your, 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 the way you discriminate, they've helped you in the past. So it's really hard to let go of those things. Well, it's also really easy to get attached to your own ideas because you believe that they are you. Uh-huh. And so if you disagree with your own idea, that must be cognitive dissonance and you must not really even know who you are anymore. So you have yeah. to hold on to your ideas. Otherwise, you'll lose yourself, which isn't the case because you as a person can be someone who is open to changing your ideas it doesn't have to be 
you as a person are these list this list of ideas. Agreed. So you know when Shai is saying like you're <laughs> you're labeling him something terrible, like without actually using the the hard language to to describe that label, but you're you're still doing it. You're still making him feel lesser than or yeah. there's some some kind of imbalance or injustice occurring here and you think because of your capacity as caretaker that you couldn't possibly be a hindrance on zach but of course you can and uh shia is right out the gate in this film quite fair to zach he initially doesn't want to take him on because He's like scared and like literally afraid for his life and thinks that having somebody with him could be a liability regardless. But then once he sort of realizes that him and Zach have a common purpose and that Zach is someone he can trust, then immediately the movie sort of gets going and they they start walking together. That's what I loved about Shai's character is, like I said, they're literally not holding back any punches. And you can tell that Shai is the kind of guy that you would want to have on your side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think his name is Tyler in this movie. And essentially, that's what I've brought up in the past. Like, I I would always want my friends to be just super authentic and not care, not sugarcoat, not pull any punches because of my disability. And they're just accepting me as a whole. And that's something that Shia does innately, maybe because of his sort of sheltered worldview. Who really knows? But it could also be that he just has seen enough shit in his life to know that those superficial things aren't driving factors in any sort of interaction. I sort of feel like him as an actor informs the role more than like the script or anything that the production set out to do deliberately. Yeah, he has been through it. Yeah, because he's quite a, a tortured individual. I, I sort of skimmed his Wikipedia page because I seem to recall that he's at the he's at the center of several incidents that maybe could uh, make it inappropriate for us to praise, praise him unequivocally. But I know like he you had, just said, you should be viewing their growth as a person, right? Like you should be able to uh, talk about and praise a person based on their growth and not necessarily uh, their credentials or the their CV of everything they've been through. Yeah, it's a bit like how they react to their problems as opposed to the problems themselves. Yeah. Is a, is a pretty important factor. Like, I think, it, was it this movie where he was arrested? Like during I, the filming or was that like Honey Boy? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think it was this film because this was relatively recent and it seems like since 2019 onward, he's been kind of okay. There were some uh, domestic abuse allegations between in a lawsuit between him and FKA Twigs, uh, a female singer, uh, musician, songwriter. Super talented, by the way. Um, anyway, so he, I believe, settled that lawsuit and publicly apologized and went to therapy. But it seems like all of his sort of career offenses sort of end with that bit where he where he like accepts all charges and then goes to therapy. 
So I, I think he sort of acknowledges that he's, a, he's the problem in his own issues, you know, which is, I guess, refreshing. That's huge. And it also seems like um, all of these very talented actors who are able to explore the extremes of uh, people's behavior and their emotions and stuff, they all seem to have checkered pasts or moments where they have been incredibly self-absorbed or had, you know, manic episodes. There's a scene in this movie where Shia gets um, just beat down on the ground, head like shoved in the sand, spit mm-hmm. on, kicked in the face, or sand kicked in his eyes. You can tell again in that scene, he's just like, do it to me. Like, I want you to actually shove me to the ground and kick sand in my eyes. And like, you can tell how he wasn't, there wasn't like a bunch of makeup to make it look like he went through that. Mm-hmm. But he was method acting. There's a scene that kind of reminded me of No Country for Old Men for some reason. You know, because it's kind of like a chase movie. And I guess that would make Dakota Johnson, Javier Bardem or Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever, whatever you want to put it. Uh, And then, of course, uh, John Hawks is carrying a tire iron and driving around in a pickup truck looking to break Shia LaBeouf's limbs. But anyway, he stops off at a convenience store and he can only afford a jar of peanut butter and some Slim Jims or something. And um, Dakota Johnson comes in. Slim Jims are also... uh recurring theme in disability movies. Yeah, yeah. What, what was that one with Paul Rudd and Fundamentals the guy who wasn't disabled? Pardon? Fundamentals of Caring. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Fundamentals of Caring. Um. So anyway, so when Chai is in this fucking uh, convenience store, he's just kind of uh, talking to the guy behind the counter and the store owner offers him some booze that he made uh, free of charge. And then Dakota Johnson comes in looking for Zach. And it's kind of like they're meet cute and whatever, but it's sort of more than that. He's trying to figure out who Dakota is and whether or not she represents a threat to Zach, you know, whether or not she actually cares about him. And it's a really like efficient and effective exchange. Have either of you gentlemen, I'm assuming I can use the word gentleman. Have you seen him? No, I, I ain't seen him. Have you seen him? Well, what do you do? He ran away from the nursing home I work at. Why, have you seen him? So you got some kind of reward? No. What are you, you bounty hunter? Would I be a bounty hunter if I just said there's no bounty? No. What are you, his sister? Reminder or something? Not that it's any of your business, but I care about him, and he's alone, and I want to find him. Maybe. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe what? Well, maybe he's alone. Maybe he ain't alone. You know, you don't know. What if he's living the American dream and... You know, he just uh, ran into a bunch of hitchhikers, you know, like Mark Twain story or something. Mm-hmm. You like Mark Twain? So, yeah. So in that note, you can kind of hear that Shia cares about Zach, but also that he's flirting with Dakota. And I really liked it. It's the first sort of scene in the film where the the furrowed brow on his face lifts and he he gets like a little pep in his step, like a little hope in his voice. And he starts joking around and stuff. Uh, and it's it's really effective. Like, I don't think any other actor could do it just as just like he did it. And that underscores the entire movie. Yeah. His every interaction with Zach is the same fucking way. Like, in many scenes, he's also doing things. Like, he's, like, whittling uh, a stick or he's uh, eating or rolling a joint. 
and he's talking to Zach at the same time, asking him questions. And the rhythm of the dialogue is like very organic. It seems very deliberate and calculated, but also totally off the cuff. Like he's a genuine performer. He's like, I think this is maybe the best um, portrait of a friendship between a wheelie and an able-bodied person in any movie we've watched so far. I, I'm sorry, but by far, by far. Yeah. He blows fucking Paul Rudd out of the water. I think the thing with Paul Rudd is we've seen Paul Rudd do that role a hundred times. Shia LaBeouf like comes at this with a completely new angle. Like I don't want to take too much away from fundamentals of caring because I still loved that movie, but this movie was there are there's a lot of similarities, um, but at the same time, this movie feels a lot more grounded, like really grounded. Like whenever you think the movie's gonna get sentimental, he instead stays in that grounded role, and it, by doing that, the movie almost ends up more sentimental. Like because you pause to think, oh. It was going to go in the direction I thought, but then it just went back to that direction. And you, you're sort of reminded with the, reminded of the human element in this movie. The, the example I have, there's a, we have a clip of it, um, and we've talked about how Shia is endearingly indifferent about Zach's disability. And this comes up right early on when they're walking together. Tyler. Oh, my Finish what you got to say. Finish what you have to say, and then we're going to walk on silent. We're not going to do this no more. Tyler, 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 what? I want you to know about me. I am a Down syndrome person. I don't really give a shit. If we're comparing that to Fundamentals of Caring... Paul Rudd's character in Fundamentals of Caring, he would never snap like that until well into the friendship when they've established a dynamic. Yeah. And then that he, Paul Rudd could snap like that because they're friends and it's fine now. You see him as an equal, you can snap. But in this movie, Shia LaBeouf is so indifferent to the world, basically, almost like a nihilist, that Zach comes along and Shia LaBeouf said, I don't care about... Yeah, we should stress, like, he, he wouldn't leave Zach on the side of the road or introduce him to anything that could bring him harm. Well, he did. No, he protected him from a, a primary school bully. Yeah, but after leaving him there. Oh, that's he, true. He left him there, he went, and then had, like, a crisis of faith turned around and got there just in the nick of time to help him from this. Fair enough, fair enough. And in that moment, he's like, fine, you can come with me, but I'm not dealing with your shit and I don't care that you're a Down syndrome, which is really refreshing again because obviously you know that the character arc is going to take place and Shia LaBeouf is going to grow as a person and he wouldn't snap like that at the end of the movie. Um, But the fact that he does is refreshing because like, I don't know. I've always run under the assumption that like, it's a tough one. Like you should be able to, you should want to treat people as your equal and you shouldn't give them too many passes just because of 
their their disability or something like that. Mm. At the same time, like obviously you should acknowledge that they need more help getting to certain things than an able-bodied person. But I always appreciate when a friend treats me the same way they would if I wasn't disabled. Uh, or at least I feel equal in that moment. You want a friend who tells you to fuck off while they feed you a jalapeno uh, Pringle? Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. They're, they're still seeing me and seeing my needs, but it's not defining the interaction. Yeah. Can you play the clip, uh, Not a Hero? Yeah. I can't be a hero because I am a Down Syndrome. What's that got to do with your heart? Who told you that? Coach. Teachers. Your coach? What'd your coach say? I am retarded. Your coach said that? I think this is where it really starts to feel authentic, right? Because you can tell, like you mentioned, Charlotte Buff is has a checkered past and he's been through some stuff. And Zach is one of those people that sort of just trusts everyone, opens up to whoever is around him, and is the same authentic person around everyone. And Shia LaBeouf, to an extent in real life, I'm sure, but in this movie, as Tyler, also has a really hard time opening up to people and trusting people. But the nature of Zach and his personality sort of forces you to want to sympathize with this person because... He's just so warm and open, and you can you can really feel it in that interaction, even without watching that scene and just listening to it. You can feel Shia's like reluctance to open up, but he also really wants to love and support and understand this person. Well, he asks probing questions in a warm manner. Yeah, the conversation is not urgent. Nothing is overly pressing. But it feels like a heart-to-heart, a real heart-to-heart. But you can still feel the guard, which I like. For sure. They're still getting familiar with each other. Yeah. But what I love about it is that it it feels like a genuine hangout. Yeah. Like two guys went and got a few drinks or whatever poison to disarm themselves. And they sat down in the middle of the woods and they started opening up. Yep. And that camaraderie, for whatever reason, because the sentiment of all these other wheelie movies is so overpowering, it's really hard to feel that degree of camaraderie anywhere else. The closest we felt it is an is a a French film called The Untouchables, which we haven't covered yet. Which we haven't covered yet, but that's that was many moons ago, and we've watched many films since. And this is the first movie with fucking a real sense of friendship on screen and that's possibly because shia has uh been public enemy number one in so many cases that he like knows how to to be vulnerable and potentially volatile on screen and it's no big deal for him to be himself in front of a camera well i also expect that some iteration of this happened before the filming of this movie, oh, when yeah. Shia and Zach met. Like, yeah. Shia was probably closed off, you know, interested in the work or whatever. But then he meets Zach, and you can't. I watched some interviews with Zach, 
and you can't help but to like him. He's just such a nice, kind person. Yeah. And you can feel that in every sentence, every word he says is so warm. So I'm, I I think that it was probably relatively easy for Shia to act this out because I think it happened to him in real life. Agreed. Yep. It's awesome. Yeah. It's such a good movie. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's heartfelt, but never condescending. And it's never at the expense of Zach. He's always at the forefront of the film and at the forefront of all of the character growth and development. Um, he's not there to teach people a lesson. He's there and people happen to learn from him. He's not like a contrived plot device. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the movie holds him on a pedestal. I actually did a little bit of research and Zach did all of his own, well, most of his own stunts in this <laughs> really? movie. Yeah, like there's a shot you can see in the trailer where Zach is learning how to use a shotgun and yep. in a bit of slapstick humor just like goes flying back like 10 feet. Yeah, like it's a kung fu movie almost. Yeah, and it looks absurd, but it's funny. Yeah, it's very funny. You can, there are scenes like that where Zach is actually doing these stunts himself. There's a scene at, at the start of the movie where like when that, when Zach initially escapes from the nursing home, he has to cover himself in like KY jelly to slip through the yeah the prison bars. And then for about the next 10 minutes of the film's runtime, he's basically in his underwear. Yeah. And there are several shots of him running. And it and it is him. I don't think they brought in like No, I don't think so. Athlete. Yeah. So he yep, it's pretty it's hilarious. Like you were giggling for a full minute there at the scene of him like just running running across the field in the middle of the night. Yeah. With his like nearly bare ass like on display. I also it just reminded me also of Gigi who because of the whole social stigmas and prejudices and all of that isn't part of their worldview. They don't have that in the lens. So it, like Gigi would sometimes like just be having trouble getting dressed in the bathroom. So she would just come out and like ask someone for help. Like just start walking through the house naked. Like is anyone here going to help me? Uh-huh. And it was, it was just, it reminded me of that sort of like, again, it's like there's probably a better word than naivete because like, I don't think they're being naive. Just unfiltered, that's all. Yeah, it's unfiltered, it's raw, and it's, I want to say childlike, but I want to say that with without any sort of condescension. It's just, it's before we have all of those institutionalized systemic ideals pushed on us that are like, you shouldn't talk to people like this, or you shouldn't, It's it's just pure. My favorite scene was when Zach is, it's actually right before he says that I can't be a hero because he's actually, when he says that he's talking about in terms of wrestling, um, like he, he wants to become a wrestler and he knows he'll have to be cast as a villain because he has a visible deformity in his disability. And so they will naturally not make him the hero. So he's practicing his evil laugh and it's like, Oh yeah resounding and super funny yeah uh we don't have a clip of that but we do have a clip of my favorite scene which is 
dialogue based, but I still don't know for the life of me if this was ad-libbed or not, but it was like one of the best jokes in the whole movie that ended up being a through line. Um, but right after uh, Shia is basically like, okay, fine. You can hang out with me, but let's set some ground rules. What's rule number one? Party? No, not party. No, it's not party. Don't slow me down. That's rule number one. Let's go. Come on. Come on, pick it up. Oh, I thought the clip started a bit earlier. But yeah, so like, Shia goes through and like gives a bunch of rules. Like, you know, I'm the leader. You do what I say, blah, blah, blah. And then afterwards, you're like, okay, what's rule number one? Zach's like, party? Which Zach is, forgets. I think Zach honestly just forgets yeah. and says party. I don't think he's trying to make a joke. Yeah. And again, it reminded me of Gigi. Like, when we would say grace at the the table, sometimes it was Gigi's turn to say grace. Yeah. And she doesn't, like, she knew the concept that grace was a thing that people say before they eat dinner. Um, yeah. And she kind of knew bits and pieces of what other people said. I think people had sort of taught her a grace, but yep. she often didn't remember how it went. So yep. she would just start listing foods that she likes. <laughs> and that was her uh, grace. So like, okay, Gigi, time to say grace. You're like, God is good. Pizza. And it's just like so pure. Yeah, also hilarious. It's also hilarious, like anti-culture. It's like subversive. That's a great joke, though. Yeah. Like that's really funny. No, I I loved it. You know, um, I don't want to. I I don't want to act like I'm putting Gigi on a pedestal either because she had her fair share of obstinance and she was a full person. You know, she had the full range of emotions. It wasn't always happy, fun times. And I think this movie also shows that, like, um, Zach does show a range of emotions uh, throughout this movie. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just really, I just can't say enough how much I liked it. If we were going to write a movie about a wheelie and an attendant, I've always thought it would be best to have an attendant kind of like Shia, who just, like, he wants to help, but like I'm not putting up with, I'm not giving you any sort of excuses because you're disabled. Um, like you have to earn that as a person, mm-hmm. and that is like you, like also in the Untouchables and sort of in the Upside, where we haven't covered those. You're saying there has to be the potential for growth between attendant and, and client, and there has to be some tension. Yeah, but it also has to be where you aren't given a free pass. You mm-hmm. can't just be like, oh, like I've had people be mean. Like, so like I'll be out and some someone with a disability does something dickish to an able-bodied person, like a friend that I'm with or something. Mm-hmm. And some stranger disabled person will do something dickish to the able-bodied friend I'm with can you be specific? Like run over their foot, like drink their drink, like no, you like a shit? comment, like oh, like you know, I don't, I don't have an example, but it could also be like yeah, like usually something like intentional, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll get angry and be like, what the heck? And then my friend will be like, don't, it's fine, they're disabled. That's the worst. It's so frustrating because like so, and 
that is what Charlotte does in this movie. She's like, so what? True. Yeah, I will say, like, the one thing that the disabled card is pretty helpful for is, um, especially when I used to, like, drink more frequently and go out and stuff, sometimes I could be a little bit belligerent, like, run my mouth yeah. or something. I never actually got in any major fights, but I'm sure I, I'd said things to people who would have otherwise hit me if I wasn't disabled. I've never been punched except by a brother. I've never been punched. Yeah, you don't have a brother. I have a sister, but she's not violent. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least without her crutches, she's not violent. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Can I rain on your parade just a little bit about this movie? Well, I just want to say, like, I think the disability card comes in handy when I'm drinking because people can't tell if I'm sloshed because my physical movements are never affected. True. Because I'm already not moving. So unless I'm really, really drunk and I can't track with my eyes or uh-huh. maybe I'm like slurring my words, then you can tell. But you don't get the first 80% of cues because my you can't judge my moving. Yeah, it's like, what are they going to judge? Like, Tony, your eyebrows, they're, yeah. they're looking sloppy. You're not blinking normally. Yeah. <laughs> you know how I can tell you're drunk? How? You more freely, t- you, sorry, you more freely talk about women you're interested in lately. Interesting. That's the only giveaway for me. Yeah, that makes sense because when I'm sober, I like to hold that to my chest because I, I have this like weird fear that if I get too excited about something too early, then I'll just ruin it for myself. Yeah, you're way more open about your like general loneliness. But yeah. it's not in a depressing way. Like you're you're just eager to discuss it because you've been working through some shit. So you need me to like you need me to bounce off ideas with I don't even remember the last time I talked to you while drunk. Um it was must have been very drunk. It yeah, it was a long time ago. It was around Christmas, I think. Okay. Um I so I just want to rain a little bit on your parade if that's okay. I brought my umbrella. Yeah, I think I think what I have to say is a net compliment to the film, but okay. So the, the, this movie, this movie checks off several disability movie tropes. So I'm going to, I'm going to list them. Okay. okay. Ready? Yeah. So um, first of all, it starts off in an old folks home, which our main disabled character has to escape. Okay. Can, before you go on your, finish your list. Uh-huh. How are we deciding what is a trope? And what is an accurate representation of a common theme in the real world? Well, it's a trope if it's um, a thing we see all the time in that particular genre. But it's also a thing we see all the time in the genre of being disabled in real life. I know, like tropes like sort of define genre and genre exists to explore the same set of ideas with minor tweaks and uh, additions and subtractions. Okay. So yeah, and I'm saying if if something is a trope, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But let me finish listing, and then we'll decide if if the movie is good. Okay. Okay. So open with a character in a nursing home that they don't want to live in. They try to escape, and then they get scolded and reprimanded by their their care group. Uh, there's a lead coordinator of the attendant care program that is just blatantly evil. No redeeming qualities whatsoever. Totally just capitalizing on vulnerable old people and disabled people. 
Sounds realistic so far. Yeah. So then, so then they break on, they break away from their prison and they go on a road trip or some sort of adventure where they try to self-actualize and become sovereign cripples. And so the person that Zach ends up identifying with the most, his, his primary caretaker out in the real world, Shia is wounded in some like, um, unhealable way. He's had some kind of trauma that might be driving his attachment to the disabled character. So think Paul Rudd and having lost his child to a freak accident that he sort of dubiously caused by not making sure that the parking brake was engaged on his vehicle. Yeah. Okay, let me pause you again on this one. Okay. Because isn't that just how humans empathize? Like when you've been through something, it's easier to relate to someone else's struggle. I resent the implication that all uh, able-bodied people who willingly associate with disabled people, like uh, to maybe a statistically higher percentage than most others, are traumatized in some way. I don't know if it's necessarily traumatized, but you have to be able to relate to a person. Can you can you please do me a favor? Can we go out and do some field research? Can you ask Kyle Hanna if there's some deep trauma that drove his desire to get employed at Carlton? Or, you know, I don't know, Matthew Cole or some such shit. That would be a fun question to start asking people. <laughs> like, if, if you and I ever go on direct funding and we start having to interview motherfuckers to come into our homes and make our lives easier, the first question we're, we're going to ask them is, like, are you looking for us to forgive you for some past sin or something? I've asked people that before, actually. Like, I, I have asked one friend in particular like, do you think that your attending work is somehow penance or something for... Yeah, but do you only ask that question when you're worried that the answer is yes? Maybe, yeah. Don't say maybe. Well, I'm saying maybe because I haven't fully thought that through. So oh. I can't say yes without <laughs> knowing that that's yes. Sorry, I'm just trying to get you to stick to your convictions. My conviction is maybe. Okay. Then also there's this trope that like, you know, the movie never really tries to address the larger systemic issue of Zach being trapped in a system that's not good for him. Like, you know, it's not part of the ambition of the script. Yeah, come on. Yeah. You can't expect a movie to do everything. I care a lot trying to do that for a minute. Yeah, you need like an entire series and multiple years to try to argue that they're that something like that is even possible. You need like that David's would be a plot driven show though. You need this like a, a season... character driven show. You need a season six of, of the wire. I should have just kept interrupting you to see how many times you'd be like, <laughs> let me finish my sentence. <laughs> you need a season. I'll say a thought. You need a season. I'll say another <laughs> thought. You need a season. I'll say a third <laughs> thought to see if you care about what I say. Nope. Just back to what you were going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes I do that when I really need to shit out a thought. You just want to say something about David Lynch. Let's go. Come on. No, not David Lynch. David Simon. Get your David's right, motherfucker. Is that Paul Simon's brother? Yep. Sorry. What What, what were you going to say, please? I was going to say, we need a season. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been rude to you this episode. You haven't been rude to me. Okay. Um. All right. So... We need a season of The Wire where McNulty goes into a fucking attendant care home. We need a season of The Wire. <laughs> mm -hmm. I finished the idea. That was the end of the stupid joke. Oh, it's a joke. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you laughing? <laughs> no, I'm just that most movies and most of the films that we watch would never even dare to try to come up with some answers as to what Zach could do to live a life more in line with who he is and what he wants. I don't even know if we have the answers beyond maybe what he did. Like maybe he actually did do the right thing. Maybe the trick is to just find, maybe not under these circumstances, but to find someone who is willing and able to just sort of like bring you into the home. Kind of like what happened with me in foster care. Uh My life would have been drastically different, potentially even fatal, if I didn't end up with just godsends of foster parents. That's true, yeah. And Shia and Dakota adopt Zach by the end of the film, basically, right? So like, although it's absurd circumstances, that is also what makes the movie interesting. I don't think it would have been a good movie if the movie was uh, Zach applying to be a foster child. And then Dakota Johnson is filling out his children's aid paperwork. What are you talking about? Filling out paperwork makes for amazing cinema. Have you, have you seen The Office? It's literally about a paper company. <laughs> and at what point have you ever seen them filling out paperwork? <laughs> Only when they're uh, doing scene transitions, when they're trying to <laughs> show us how boring life is. I think, it, I think it's just like hard to make TV that would get into that. Also, nobody really has an answer, right? Yeah, but I mean, you could pose an answer. You could pose potential solutions. And in in this film... But aren't these all potential solutions? Is that one it, potential solution find a bro to go on a road trip with? I guess. I don't know. The movie's answer is just family. What's wrong with that? Like, well, it's just a little bit cheesy. I don't know. It's I don't find it cheesy. I find it pure and soulful. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's not funny. I was going to try to make my stupid Shia... LaBeouf jokes now. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say like Shia LaPoule. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say what if uh, Zach was vegan? Then then Shia LaBeouf couldn't adopt him. It would have to be Shia Legume. <laughs> 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 we'll have to edit out my laugh because it probably blew everyone's mic <laughs> in a hundred mile radius. No, we have to have one because one of us has to laugh. <laughs> Or if it's Dakota Johnsonville sausages, am I right? Don't get the reference. Johnson Johnsonville sausages. It's a sausage company, I think. Where that it sells sausages at uh, your Ottawa local. Johnsonville is definitely a, like a hot dog or a sausage company. No, I've never heard of that. For sure. Are you thinking of uh, Oscar Mayer? No. <laughs> Shia. Let- Lettuce. <laughs> also, this movie didn't use... Wait, before, I, you, you said the thing about family, and that brings up uh, this quote. I am a frog enough, and I could catch a fish for you, and I could be a hero, and, and I could take care of you. We could be a family. Yeah, so he wants, uh, he wants Shia and Dakota to adopt him. And him to have his own life. And they do. I love the cadence to his speech, too. There's something so endearing about the way he speaks. Where, like, you can tell he's just 
you can tell by the way his speech comes out that he hasn't filtered it at all. It's just from emotion to to thought to oration. Yeah, like he basically was given a couple uh, directions from the director and then he said his piece and they worked around it. Yeah, it's the same as like his birthday party line where he's just like, do you guys want to come to my birthday party? And it's just like, he's just kind of getting it out because he's thinking of it as he's saying it. And I just, there's, again, something so pure about someone that isn't like thinking about their delivery. Right, that's true. You you can feel it, like even an untrained ear can hear it. Yeah. Okay, what else is on your list of what you thought was a trope? Um, maybe that's it. I'm trying to think. He doesn't die at the end, thankfully. It was it's it's definitely a trope for you to take the actor's name and try to make a pun out of it. Do you want to know why I do that? Because No, wait, I want to tell you something. Since I've known you, you've been adamant that you don't like puns. They're the you're worst. Like, you, yeah, you say that they're the worst, that they're poor humor, lazy humor. Yeah, I have major Shia LaBeef with puns. Yeah, but you don't. You actually love puns to the point where it's probably a good 80% of the jokes you make are puns. And <laughs> and when you when you come up with a new pun, 80%. you interrupt my work day to send me a pun that you thought of. And then you'll be like, I need the credentials to the Twitter because I need to make a joke about this pun yeah. that I thought of. And we make jokes all the time that aren't puns, but only the puns are the ones that make you go, I need to stop what I'm doing and tweet about this. <laughs> so sorry. I, I don't apologize. Puns are fine. I love puns, <laughs> but I just will never accept again you saying that you don't like puns because it's inauthentic and you're a liar. <laughs> and I don't like when you lie to me. Please forgive me. I, it's just that, remember we made that joke uh, a couple episodes ago, like what would be the name of a, a disabled film auteur? See, here's happening again. You're so excited to tell me a pun that you go <laughs> back two episodes to bring up the pun premise so you can reiterate the pun, which is fine. <laughs> don't stop doing that, but stop telling me you don't like puns. I don't like puns when they're not mine. Because <laughs> you're jealous? No, because puns that aren't mine are bad. Not my puns are bad. I'm just going to cut out the not part <laughs> when we're editing. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> you're going to cut out the not part again. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so... One of my favorite film reviewers is a YouTube personality for the BBC called Mark Kermode. And Mark Kermode? Yeah, Mark Kermode is his name. He's like Kermode, Kermode not Kermode. That's cool that he has a disability last name. <laughs> Imagine it's, it's just a British guy on Kermode <laughs> taking a shit reviewing the last Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> I love Mark Kermode. <laughs> so yeah anyway mark commode has a similar distaste for the actor uh orlando bloom as i do and one time he was saying that he didn't fully understand orlando bloom's appeal and he called him 
Orlundo. <laughs> he called him. He called him Orlundo Bland. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> I love that pun so much because it's like, it's both like a perfect play on words and also a really scathing insult. <laughs> well, because it's just an inversion of Orlando in Orlando, he he swaps oh. the hard vowels. Oh sounds. shit! Yeah, that is clever. Yeah, yeah. So he calls him <laughs> Orlando Bland because <laughs> he's a shitty, like, uninteresting actor. <laughs> That's a really good pun. It's so good. So yeah. now, like, whatever I I don't so like. Your, that's what you're trying to chase. Yeah, I try to I try to reproduce that. And I shouldn't have yeah, given away my... That's a high bar. I shouldn't have given away my secret. But now whenever I don't like an actor, I try to make fun of their stupid name. But I thought you just said you do like uh, Shia LaBeouf. I do like Shia LaBeouf, which is why all my puns are innocuous and beef-based. Right. You'd be a really good ghostwriter for like preschool bullies. <laughs> <laughs> like... When you have a child and he's like eight years old and people are picking on him, then he's like in the playground and people keep making fun of his last name or something. And then he comes home and he's like, dad, so-and-so made fun of me today. And you just like start writing jokes for him. Like, take these to him. What are all the kids' names? Tell me now. That would be so funny. You start writing retorts for your kids' books. <laughs> They're like, Dad, no one wants to play Octodad with me. That's a callback to the start of the episode. You forgot already because you don't care. Yeah. I've always wondered, what would it be like to be an octopus? (laughs) It answers the age-old question. What if I was a cephalopod? (laughs) Right now, you're insufferable pod. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything else to say about this movie? I didn't like the ending. Okay, well, what was what was the ending then? Be- because he- the ending was weird. It was like like they they do a rush job to try to get Zach into a wrestling ring, and I felt like the whole thing was written in under an hour. It wasn't a plot based movie though. I know, I know. The appeal of the film is the camaraderie between Shia and Zach, and that's what makes. These like a lot of these tropes I listed earlier forgivable, but also the ending is super rushed and kind of bad because um, throughout the movie, like Shia LaBeouf's hangouts with Zach are interrupted by like training montages, which are kind of good because they're funny and they're practical, like Zach rolling a bale of hay or I don't know, rowing a boat or doing pushups or holding his breath underwater like just regular things he can do to try to improve his fitness as they travel. And then they meet the like Zach's wrestling hero in an old shack somewhere in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. And he's played by Thomas Hayden church, who is a well-known character actor, pretty funny, like uh, pretty amusing, whatever, whatever. And then Thomas Hayden church is like, you should come to my wrestling event where I have a bunch of retired wrestlers, like actual pros, and we'll throw you in the ring because I think you're ready. And it's like pretty bizarre because Zach isn't physically ready to wrestle. And I don't really think even the movie's trying to argue that he is. It's just trying to like 
make for a, a nice ending. And it's not even that everyone is pretending that he's ready in the narrative of the film. Like it's literally acting like he's capable of fighting. And that seems kind of silly to me. The only thing they really do to build up to it is to establish that Zach has a irregular, like superhuman strength, which they do illustrate at least two times. So at least it follows the rule of threes. (laughs) By the time it gets to that point in the film, it's like, (laughs) really? (laughs) He's a fucking full fledged (laughs) wrestler. Like that's kind of silly. So I, I, it got kind of surreal. He wasn't though. He was getting destroyed. Well, no, but then he literally like picks up the wrestler by his like magical wheelie powers and throws him out of the ring. Yeah, it was a bit slapstick for sure. But it was a bit silly by the end, like especially considering all the real work the movie does to earn its better moments. It was a little surprising that they didn't actually try to like earn the sport moment at the end of the film. Yeah, I would give you that. And I, I was I was so happy because I thought they were gonna million dollar baby him. Like, like I thought, I thought a fucking actual wrestler was going to like suplex, suplex Zach. And then he was going to have to like blow out his like (laughs) birthday candles through a straw or something. That's what you wanted to see. No, it's not what I wanted to see. That's what I thought the movie was going to do because all movies have to end with like cripples fucking dying. So are you upset that it didn't do that? No, I'm happy that it avoided it. You're very confusing right now. <laughs> I don't like the ending because I thought they were going to make him disabled where he couldn't <laughs> even move his limbs. No, I was shocked that they By went. By the end of the movie, he was still moving his limbs. So how is this even a disability movie? <laughs> I just wanted it to like... If it was going to be a sports movie, I just wasn't expecting it to actually... It like... wasn't going to be a sports movie. <laughs> But by the end he's like literally in the ring like doing wrestling I, I, I agree I think they could have maybe like the saltwater redneck could have got in there and or like the crowd turned on the guy that was actually beating him up the guy realized he was the one being a dick or something but yeah. then that could have read as condescending because they yeah, were that's like true. giving the wheelie an easy out or like an easy win. And Zach is Zach is not the catalyst behind like the resolution of his own conflict kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like even though it was obviously like an impossible superhuman feat of strength for Zach to lift this guy up over his head and throw him out, they set it up already because like you said, they said that he was superhuman strong and they did that was the saltwater rednecks signature throw was like the atomic throw or whatever yeah which they established is not actually physically possible right like anytime thomas hayden church did that in real life uh it was like actually staged with camera work and trickery so then zach goes ahead and does it so he has like a magical moment inexplicably and then, like, I do agree that what I, I think the only thing I would have liked to see at the end was sort of like an after-credits epilogue where you see in 10 years the life that they've made for themselves in Florida. Mm, that's kind of cool. That would be cool, yeah. And then you can see that this was like a, it wasn't a flash-in-the-pan friendship. Mm-hmm. They developed something long-term 
Zach was fully integrated into the fabric of the dynamic, and maybe Zach had started a wrestling club for people with disabilities or something like that would have been cool. Yeah, that's very, very true. I agree. Yeah, the ending could have been a lot better, which is what I've been saying this whole time. Well, yeah, but you said it wrong. <laughs> I said it wrong. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think we've we've uh, reached time. Wheel breakers. I don't want to play wheel breakers today. You don't have one prepared? No. I You're over this game? I'm not over the game. Well, maybe I just need a break from it for a while. Okay, well, I had one ready. Let me pose it to you. Sure. And if you think it's boring, we can cut it out. And we'll add a disclaimer about how you're boring. Okay. What if I can make you able-bodied, uh-huh. but every year for your birthday, you could only invite people you dislike <laughs> to your birthday party? What? And you spend the entire year Seeking out people to invite to your birthday. Who you hate? Who you don't like. Oh, wow. So, like, you still can enjoy time with your friends for the rest of the year. But then once a year on your birthday, you spend it with everyone you've met that you don't like throughout the year. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. You know what's funny? It would probably be, like, a lot of paratranspo drivers. (laughs) Yeah, or, like, an ex co an ex-co-worker who never respected personal space. That's just like the idea of like, anytime you have an annoying interaction with someone, you're like, you want to come to my birthday? <laughs> like, to be like, yeah, like the pair drive is really rude to you. Yeah. You're at a table uh, in a restaurant and the waitress says something really, like asks the person you're with what you want for dinner because they assume you can't order for yourself. And they're just like, hey, can you finally come to my birthday? Oh. And it's just like a year's worth of people that you don't like. <laughs> it's like if someone rear-ends my power chair in the middle of the sidewalk with their bike. Yeah, you hand them a birthday invitation. <laughs> someone like royally screws up a procedure at work and I invite them to my birthday party. <laughs> it's going to start to feel like a sarcastic like dig at them. It'll be clear It'll be clear that I don't like them. I- at your birthday party, you have to make your best effort to be nice to them the whole time. Like some call center person calls me at 5.30 at my house, my parents' landline, and I have, I invite them to my birthday party. Yeah. My doctor tells me I need a colonoscopy and I invite them to my birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give you the details you want in, in your story. You <laughs> to your birthday party. <laughs> Imagine, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I do it. It'd be funny. And then one twist would be I have to tell them why I invited them <laughs> as soon as they arrive. Everyone, I just gathered you all here today to let you know I don't like you. And uh, all right, who's ready for cake? <laughs> who's ready for cake? They're like all expecting like laxatives to be in the cake or like. <laughs> you give them like a party favor gift. And it's just a note about why you don't like them. <laughs> so you would do it? Yeah. All right. Well, you don't have to do one. I know you don't really want to do a wheel breaker this week. We can just end it there. Wait, let me think. Let me think. I just thought we were super over time. That's all. All right. Well, we can just end it there. It's okay. Okay.
Thanks again, everyone. Go check out Peanut Butter Falcon. We should go back to like a rating system. Like how many wheelchairs, how many wheelchairs out of five power chairs would you give this movie? <laughs> how many good para, how many good para drivers out of five would you give this movie? Yeah. How many commodes? Uh, if it's shit? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I would give this movie four power chairs and a manual chair out of five power chairs. Okay. I would give this movie four new orthotics and one old orthotic out of five. Are they ankle foot orthotics? Yeah, like from knee to toe. Okay. And just to be clear, my wheelchairs are new. Four new Permobile wheelchairs. With good lumbar support. Fully fully souped up with elevation. Uh And one manual chair that is a manual chair, but it can still tilt. What kind of manual chair tilts? You can get tilting manual chairs. Jeez, I feel like like I live uh, in a fucking historical society. Oh yeah, Thunder Bay. (laughs) And you are fucking... You can get manual chairs with power tilt. Oh, I just, I just determined a nickname for you. <laughs> All right. Well, we ran out of time. Actually. <laughs> oh, this is this is actually terrible. <laughs> You're gonna say it, and I'm gonna hit stop recording. <laughs> Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> ah, yes, I win. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I fucking got you. Yeah, but I love puns. (laughs) 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 (laughs)